Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 112. Welcome to RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host, Eric Cacciatore. Yo, what is going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? It is your host, Eric Cacciatore, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry. I have a great show for you today. If you listened to yesterday's Talking Tuesday, you heard me kind of break down that TEDx talk that I was sharing with you by Bobby Stuckey of Frasca Food & Wine. Well, I loved that talk so much, I reached out to Bobby immediately after watching his video, and I asked him to be a guest on the show, and he immediately responded, saying he'd love to be a guest, and that's what you're about to listen to, Uh, so sit tight, Uh, make sure you stick around to the end of the show, because he shares a great resource for all of you wine directors out there, you sommeliers, uh, that you're definitely going to want to check out. And if you guys can think of any guests that you think would make a great mentor on the show, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I will do everything humanly possible to get them as a guest on the show. That's all I got. I'm going to hit play. Enjoy it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Bobby Stuckey. Bobby, how are you today? Eric, I'm great. I'm great. All right. You know, we have a little more sunshine out here in Colorado than you guys are dealing with in the the Northeast, so we're all smiles here. Whatever, Bobby. We'll look back at this week and laugh. What's 80 inches of snow in a week? (laughs) No big deal. Exactly. We'll survive. All right, so, uh, Bobby, are you ready to drop some restaurant bombs of knowledge on us that will be sure to make our dreams unstoppable? Sure, I'd love to. All right, let's do this. Bobby's hospitality career as sommelier started in his native Arizona. After getting some experience, he spent the next eight years perfecting his craft as director, first at the Little Nell restaurant in Aspen, Colorado, then at the French Laundry. In 2004, after earning his Master Sommelier Diploma, he opened his first restaurant, Frasca Food & Wine, in Boulder, Colorado. In 2008, Stuckey was nominated by James Beard Foundation as Outstanding Wine and Spirits Professional. In 2010, 11, and 12, Frasca Food and Wines was nominated for Outstanding Wine Service, winning the prestigious award in 2013. Bobby, this is just a huge aerial view of who you are and what you're all about, and it doesn't nearly do you justice in what you've accomplished in your career. So why don't you give us a big picture, starting with how you got started in the hospitality industry? You know, I, uh, it's interesting. I got into the industry. I was in, I, as you mentioned, I, I grew up in Arizona, um, and I got to the industry as a busboy. I was... 13 years old, and I was um, dyslexic, ADD, punk rock kid in the uh, early 80s. And my mom's like, hey, you know, really, if you need to get rid of some of your energy, why don't you um, 
go work in this restaurant. And I went as a busboy, and um, pretty much the rest is history. You know, 30-some years later, I'm still busing tables. But that journey um, really led me to hospitality, and through that, I fell in love with wine. And, uh, you know, I've been a sommelier now for 20 years. I've... Uh, I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed. I, I love the career. I feel really, really lucky. Yeah, I mean, and you've had some incredible people to work with along the way. I mean, uh, you tell us quickly. I mean, the the Little Nell and then the French Laundry. What was that experience like? Well, starting off with the Little Nell, I was there um, at a really special time in the in the mid uh, mid nineties. Uh, Connie Thornburg and Eric Calderon uh, and Chef George Mahaffey. That was kind of the core team there. Uh, Eric Calderon was the GM of the hotel, one of the most phenomenal mm-hmm. gentlemen to work with. And and I give a lot of kudos to his, um, at the time, food and beverage director, Connie Thornburg. She took a chance on me, and she was just a great mentor and leader. And it's interesting, those two still work together. Uh, Eric's the COO of the O'Bears Group, and, and Connie is um, the GM of uh, Calistoga Ranch in Napa. And just great people, and they were wonderful to work work. For. And then from that, I, it took me to to Napa to work for Thomas Keller. And, uh, you know, there's there's things, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that Frosca has been open over 10 years, and it's been over 10 years since I left Thomas and Laura and the team at the French Laundry. But there's still pieces of the French Laundry that resonate in me every day of service. <laughs> no. It's uh, it's ironic that uh, one of my guests is a, a – a past worker at the French Laundry because I just finished uh, the Soul of a Chef, and I mean it really like the, the the type of restaurant that Thomas Keller has created is really I mean the standards he has is incredible. I'm sure that was yeah, a really it's cool amazing. Yeah, it'll it'll if you embrace your experience there, it'll change you positively for a for the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move on, let's just talk a little bit about what you got going on with your uh, first restaurant, Frasca Food and One. Well, uh, Frasca is a restaurant here in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, it's based on the cuisine and inspiration and culture of Friuli Venezia Giulia. So that is that um, little uh, wine, re- uh, wine and food region nestled next to Slovenia below Austria in, in northeastern Italy. Mm-hmm. And that's really uh, <clears throat> been a wonderful journey for not just me and Lachlan uh, and my wife, Danette, but for really the whole staff to be able to have a vision every day to come in and work on and try to get better at, um, and that's understanding the culture of Friuli. Awesome, and I think uh, it's so great that 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 region really strikes a sense of place with you in your heart, and being able to replicate something so special to you, and having that example to kind of live up to that standard must really be like just because visioning is so important to your mission. Do yeah, you I like think when we that? started the journey, we didn't know. It was going to affect us this much, you know. I, I don't think we knew what we were getting into, yeah. but it really has been a—it's been such a positive to have this one beacon for over a decade mm. for all of us to work on. It's been great. Mm, awesome. I feel like we all know you a little bit better now. We got that big picture. Thank you for painting it for us. But before we move on to the meat and potatoes of this interview, I have to ask you to share with us a success quote or mantra that you apply to your everyday life and we're going to try to get that motivational inspirational ball rolling hit us what do you got well i mean a success quote would be um you know something i i i took from uh 
Thomas Keller, he always, and we we have it actually framed up in the back of the kitchen, is uh, treat it like it is yours and someday it will become yours. Mm. And that's something in the restaurant business that if everyone went to work that way, success would find itself easily. Awesome. I love it. Very powerful. And speaking of motivational and inspirational, and this struck a particular chord with me because I didn't know this about you. You're dyslexic and you have ADD. And I mean, yeah. I, I have to, I mean, I am also dyslexic and I have ADD and it to see somebody and I know what the challenge is like. I know how hard it is to just get through a simple book uh, and the, the, you know, self-control it takes just to stick with it and to know that somebody that has the challenge can be as successful as you is truly inspiring for me. So just wanted to point that out. Yeah, you know, I always uh, I uh, talk to my younger brother who definitely does not have those challenges. <laughs> I mean, he's on the other end yeah, of the that, that's uh, my curve. big brother. <laughs> and I always say, I said, you know, Scoob, I'm gifted. He's like, what? No, I'm the gifted one. I'm like, no, actually, I am because it was so hard for me to get you know through school and get through the MS program and and just everything mm-hmm. that everything else that would be a challenge for anyone else seems actually pretty easy for me I love because it, you know, you have to work so hard on these other things. It just kind of sets your, um, yeah. And when you your find, work standard differently, <laughs> when you find that thing that you do love and you are passionate about, it's like a, a walk in the park and uh, yeah, it's awesome. So thank you for being an uh, inspiration for other people who have that similar uh, challenge that we deal with. But moving on with the interview, uh, we got to find out, I think this might have already came out a little bit, but what is your it factor? I mean, we know that there's no such thing as a, a successful restaurant. There's only successful, great people in restaurants. So what is it that makes you great? Well, I mean, first of all, I would never say I'm great, but maybe the the staff that that works with me, maybe our it factor is what we just alluded to was, you know, I'm, I'm probably not the smartest guy in the room. Um, but definitely there's a tenacity and, you know, as we said, you know, um, things that are hard for other people are easy for me, which really translates in the restaurant business. Like, um, you know, working a lot of hours don't really, that doesn't really bother me. Uh, I've been doing it forever and it, it just seems pretty normal to me. And I think, that resonates with the staff. They're like, oh, okay, you know, the restaurant business is a lot of hours, but you know, Bobby's doing it. Mm-hmm. I will, then I can do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, can I point out that maybe one of your if factors is not thinking you have an if factor because that humility of just, uh, not, you know, not taking the, uh, the, the limelight and knowing that it's because of those who are a part of your team and giving them that recognition, I think is very important too. You know, I look at our staff, you know, Eric, I look at our staff like a wine uh, sommelier would look at a vineyard like, you know, you always talk about terroir in, a, yeah. in wine. We definitely have a terroir at Frosca in the staff, and it's, you know, it's really humbling to me to have these people that have been with me since opening night, and 10 years later, they're they're adding things. You know, Matt Mather, sommelier, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Rose Voda, uh, one of our servers, uh, uh, general manager Peter Peter Hoagland, uh, Carlin Carr, one of our other sommeliers, all these people just add so much to the restaurant that there's some of the parts are way more impactful than anything I can do. Mm, 
Yeah, I mean, and I also want to point out, too, you had mentioned the ADD, and this is something I kind of joke around about, because when you're in elementary school or high school, it's like a curse. But when you get into that real world, and especially if you're working in an industry like food and beverage, the hospitality, the restaurants, where the, the, the pace changes constantly, and that ability to bounce from task to task into always having something fresh, you know, just stimulating you. I think it's a blessing as an adult. You never can sit down. You're always going. And I think that you mentioned you work a lot, but it, for you, you're always going. And it's that ADD coming out. Like what's next? What's next? Where are we going next? Let's, let's ride bikes. Let's, uh, let's do this. Like, <laughs> am I off there? Oh no, you're uh, <laughs> right. I mean, it's like a Friday night with just things going like nuts. It's yeah. like, I see it through a, a whole different clarity exactly. than someone else would. I love it, man. That's great. I'm really resonating with everything that, uh, you know, makes you, you, that's so cool. All right. So now that we identified your if factors of, you know, not being someone to take all the credit and being that person who has that incredible work ethic and they, they like to work and they just always go, can you share with us a story? Take us to the moment where this it factor manifested and help you get to that next level. Well, I think, uh, it maybe wasn't one experience, but mm-hmm. um, I really kind of study um, the uh, the craft of hospitality. Yeah, you know, I've spent the last twenty years as a sommelier, but the whole time trying to be a ho- you know a hospitality sommelier, not a wine service yeah. sommelier. And I think one of the things that I really, when I meditate about hospitality, um, is that is a you need to be able to think about other people constantly. It's never about yourself to be great at hospitality. And I think that uh, the more you delve into that, um, the fabric of what's going to happen is, or the story that you're asking for is every night of service, you're able to be better at hospitality within the realm of service because you're always constantly thinking of the other guests, mm. uh, of the guests. And also mm-hmm. your coworkers. Absolutely, man. It's super, so powerful. I mean, can you think of a specific time where maybe you or one of your staff members displayed that sense of hospitality and thinking about the guests and making it about the guests? And I can think of one story. I mean, you can tell the Rose story from your TED Talks. Um, you know, we, I shared it the other day. Or can you think of a, a unique story we haven't heard of? Well, you know, I mean... We could we could spend two days just talking about <laughs> Rose alone, because she really truly is a hospitalian. And yeah. I love that phrase, and, by the way, a hospitalian. That's so awesome. But uh, you know, and she and the reason is that she loves caring for people, and she you know the thing about hospitality is um, you know it puts yourself and I'll, I'll use an example. Um, you know, you have to no matter what the person is coming at you with. You have to empathize and think about what they have gone through to get to the restaurant and do they have low blood sugar or whatever mm-hmm. it may be and how do we make them feel mm-hmm. really, really good. You know, and there, there could be a myriad of, of, of stories like that, but I, I, uh, I, can th- I can think of a few that involve me and Rose side by side in the middle of service. I'm going to keep digging, man. I want one of those stories because I feel like we learn – the best from stories. And if you could just paint that experience for us, what happened, how you felt in the end result, I'd be so grateful. Sure. Of course. Um, You know, I mean, I think a great, a great example would be, um, 
you know, a, a typical Friday or Saturday or Thursday night, and all of us are in the middle of service, and and someone comes in, and this might sound kind of mundane, but you know, in America we have this very um, proprietariness of Italian culture. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you go to France for you know, a year and live in France, you still don't feel like you're a Frenchie. Yeah. But if you go to on your honeymoon or your 10-year anniversary to Tuscany for a week, 10 years later, you still think you're an Italian expert. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember a time when, um, you know, and, and, and people don't like to feel, you know, if you go into free, in a Friulano restaurant and none of the menu resonates like your honeymoon, mm-hmm to Tuscany, and you're kind of that type of control-type CEO person. Um, this actually happened with us. And he'd been to Italy a couple times, went through a divorce. He's on, on a date, and he's trying to be a big shot, and he has no idea what's going on with our menu. Mm-hmm. And he's freaked out because he thinks of Italy as Ribolita, Stay Fiorentina. You know, he'd been to Tuscany. Mm-hmm. And he starts getting up in uh, Rose's kind of uh, grill, per se. And uh, I love Rose's kind of just mama bear softness to this guy by saying, oh, yeah, you, you said, let me walk you through this. And goes and gets a couple slices of prosciutto sandagnelli sliced off the burkle and says, hey, you know, this is prosciutto sandagnelli. This is the ham of, of Friuli. Mm-hmm. And as soon as... You put something to the person that I, you know, everyone identifies with prosciutto. They mm-hmm. just don't know it's from Friuli. Yeah. All of a sudden, this guy's night turned around, <laughs> and Rose was able to say, "Hey, you know, that's the thing about Italy. It's just, you know, and just kind of using her Italian knowledge to mm-hmm. kind of melt this this anger. Yeah. And believe me, it was an anger, and there was no need for it. It was just he was in a restaurant that it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of weird items on the menu that you'd never think of as Italian. I mean, words like Frico and Chalzone and Gilicrofi. I mean, uh, and that's not what he was kind of looking for. By the end of the night, um, the guy had a wonderful time. Um, he had a great date, and we he's been with us as a guest for eight years now. Awesome. I mean, I can't help but think about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how, as restaurant owners, we're trying to not only make sure our customers or our uh, employees' higher needs are being met, <clears throat> excuse me, but one of the needs, one of those needs is feeling accepted and feeling like you belong somewhere. And it sounds like this guest, when he was there, because he was not, it wasn't what he was expecting, he didn't feel like he was comfortable, but you then made him feel like he belonged and you brought it to a place that it was comfortable for him. And it's all about that self procession. Like how are people seeing me? How is my date seeing me? And he made that guy look great. Or Rose made that guy look great. And I think that was just a beautiful story and a great example of, you know, of that it factor of, um, just working in, uh, you know, that hospitality story. Just awesome. Yeah. You just have to remember, you know, it's easy to tell a story eight years later, yeah. but in the middle of a Friday night when this person is getting aggressive with you, it's really hard to keep your hospitality gene and light beacon 
uh, bright. Mm. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's where we go back to this all the time. The hospitality is not about us. It's about looking outward. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really hard to do. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, she showed some incredible social intelligence there too. I mean, all great stuff. All right. So you shared an incredible story of how your it factors and how your team and your incredible hospitality uh, just shone through. Now it's time to tell us about a story. I want you to do the same exact thing, but, but tell us about a time you as a restaurant owner fell hard on your fanny and how you got back up and what you learned from the shortcoming or failure. You don't have control of everything. And in the restaurant business, we want to control everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Lachlan and I opened uh, a little over 10 years ago. We opened a very small, modest restaurant called Frosca. And um, after about six years, we wanted to um, remodel it and take the space next to us and build a pizzeria called Pizzeria Locale. And, okay. you know, and Lachlan, my business partner, is, I mean, we're, 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 totally polar opposites and that's why we work so well together mm. and we had we had analyzed every little bit of the remodel closed for six weeks got frosca reopened to the day we were supposed everything was clicking mm-hmm. and then the pizza oven that we were having built from some guys from napoli italy into the space and we had worked with them that they were going to send a container over with all the gear and then they were going to come over and they're like you know, fully Naples, like jean cutoff shorts and wife beater and build it into the space, that container got stuck in customs the day after that um, Yemen um, scare where they, uh, they had the cartridges. Uh, okay. that they were. So everyone was on alert. They, yep. they tagged it. Um, it ended up sitting in customs for a couple months. Oh, man. So here we have a restaurant fully, re- all it needed was the oven. Mm-hmm. And then we were sitting there hemorrhaging cash, um, hemorrhaging cash. Um, then Customs destroys the oven. Oh. We have to get another oven. And, you know, that's something you, you can't, there's nothing in the playbook that's going to tell you that the U.S. Customs is going to tag a pizza oven and destroy it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it really hurt. We almost lost everything. And you know we, um, you know we had gotten an SBA loan to um, to do the remodel, but the SBA loan moves too slowly. I mean, it's great to get one, but if you need to 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 get another line of credit, they move real slowly. And here we are in the thick of it. Lockwood and I were like, "Oh my God, what are we going to do?" And um, we got a, a bridge loan and uh, just hunkered down. Um, and I don't know if the staff ever knew how stressed we were. Mm. You know, we were about to lose everything, and we just had to, had to keep every day plugging in because we had to be there for service. We had to have Frosca rocking mm. so we could close the gap to this financial insecurity as much as possible. It was really, Bobby. I, mean, I have to say it was nuts. In this story, what would you say was the cause of your shortcoming? Like what went wrong? What did you do wrong that made this series of events unfold? I think one of the things that we did wrong was maybe we should have had someone self-import the oven who knew to get with the guys in Naples and have their checklist properly mm-hmm. done. 
Because mm-hmm. what had happened is they had some sand in the um, that they were going to use to make the plaster mm-hmm. in the container, and they tagged that as a um, agricultural hazard. Well, I mean, I would never have known. Yeah. So yeah, that just was still out of my bailiwick. So that now that we've labeled that um, that beginning of the series of events, uh, what would what would you say you learned from that one mistake right there? You know, always get an expert involved. Yeah. If it be if it be an attorney for, I mean, if you're going to open a restaurant, first mm-hmm. thing, and it took us a while to figure this out, is to get a great attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get an act, get a great CPA, get a great attorney. Whatever yeah. you're not good at, get the expert involved. And that's and, ex- exactly what I was hoping you're. I was trying to work you to say. I mean, I think that's a, a lot of the times people, you know, they try to pitch pennies, um, and they try to save wherever they can. But sometimes, in order to save, you need to spend. And when you're doing things like that, that if they don't go right, you, you could be in a seriously bad situation, like you were. But if you just spend that little extra. To do it right, to get that expert advice, you're actually saving money in the long run. No, saving a fortune. Yeah, awesome. I mean, great stories. I feel like I know you so much better now. I mean, you really painted the pictures on both your success story and your failure, and uh, you brought us right down to that level. So thank you for really doing a good job on that. Uh, We are going to drop some bombs of knowledge now, Bobby. You're going to tell us some great knowledge bombs on everything. It's like a speed round. Are you ready to go? Sure. All right. The first question is, what advice do you have for funding a restaurant? Start small. Mm. You know, in the United States, we want to do these big build-outs and be these massive restaurants and take on all this debt. You know what? Start small um, and and grow to that big restaurant. Mm-hmm. Don't start as the big restaurant. Absolutely. I mean, I think scaling is very important, and sometimes people, they just get in weight over their heads. Yes. Yeah, awesome. Um, so what advice do you have for hiring good people? You know, we have a philosophy at Frosca is we don't hire by resume. We hire by spirit. Mm. So, you know, you and you've, we've all seen those restaurants where it's, uh, you know, chock full of mercenary captains and waiters and maitre d's that have come from poached from other places all over the country. And that's one way to skin a cat. But for us, we would much rather be much more organic and hire someone who has really, really good spirit, gamble on them, and teach them what we would like them to know and just kind of grow with that. Yeah. I really like how um, you say spirit. I mean, that that answer of hiring attitude over skill comes up, but I think that's the first time I've heard somebody refer to it as spirit. What do you mean? Do you think there's a difference between spirit and attitude? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, attitude is kind of like how you, you know, kind of how you move and walk through life. But mm-hmm. spirit is something that is a, a little bit more than that. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you need to be really curious. You need to be um, always wanting to challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to be positive. Mm-hmm. All these things that a resume can't tell you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So once you have these incredible people that have that awesome spirit what do you do to keep them as a team member well you know that's hard you know i think here in the united states or in the in fine dining we've kind of got it wrong you know we have this fine dining set up where you have one restaurant and 
and then all of a sudden you you have a cap of where people can go. I mean, we we suffered through that. I mean, I've, we've lost some of the greatest mm-hmm. hospitality people in the country. Mm-hmm. We lost uh, Dustin Wilson at Eleven Madison Park, the wine director there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant uh, Reynolds, the wine director at Charlie Bird. I mean, all these people. We, we didn't have a home for them as they grew, so we haven't been experts at that. But we're we're we've learned over the ten years that you need to create a flow where people know where they can go next. Mm-hmm. And it took us a while to figure that out. I think you know it's actually yeah. well, you know where how we learned. How's that? We learned from Chipotle. <laughs> it, we learned. Lachlan and I have learned so much from their culture of growing people. Mm-hmm. That um, yeah, I think it's going to be the next ten years of Frosca are going to be really, really exciting because of what we learned from those guys. Yeah, I mean that little piece of advice just there to not only uh, to grow people but to look to the big dogs in the industry. Uh, I, my heart and my passion is in capturing the stories of the indie restaurant owners, but you can learn a lot about how to run a business by looking at these corporations and how they do things. Um, And I think that is a great example of how they do some great stuff. So, I mean, can you uh, dive in a little bit deeper about the power of growing people? Oh, of course. I mean, like, look, the restaurant business is changing right now. Mm -hmm. It's going to keep changing. And if you don't have a group of people that want to grow and change and evolve, you might as well stop today. Mm-hmm. Your restaurant is not going to be. I mean, if you if you're in the game to have a restaurant with longevity, because that's what turns me on. I, I'm way more turned on by you know these classic restaurants that have been at it for a long time and stay fresh. I mean, that is really the trick of the trade of not just an indie restaurant, but anybody. If it be the lunch I had at Gramercy Tavern during the blizzard. Mm-hmm. I mean, that restaurant's been around. 25 years or 20 years and it was as it was perfect mm-hmm. and you know so what you want to do to to stay you know to grow these people and get these people to keep evolving is is kind of look inside yourself of your own restaurant and say okay what do we need to do to create new forms of education new forms of opportunity new and it doesn't always have to be monetary mm-hmm. it can be how are we inspiring people daily? I mean, mm-hmm. we do, we're starting something next week where we, you know, we do wine classes all the time, and we we spend a lot of money on on blind tasting with the staff. But I do these institutos, which are like a, a, a in depth class for our guests. And I'm like, why am I doing? It? I mean, it's great that I do it for my guests, but I want to do one for my staff. So we're we're going to do the same thing that we do for the guests. We're going to do it for free for the staff starting next week. Mm-hmm. So things like that that keep people growing and, and evolving. I love it. I mean, and it's so powerful, <laughs> the, the outcome of when you do invest in others, how that can come around to serve you in the long run. And uh, we could go on and on about this, uh, but i got to ask you the next question. And uh, it's too bad because I really would love to talk more about it. But the next question I do have for you, Bobby, what advice do you have on how to lead? I mean, there's no question that to be successful, you have to be a great leader. So, I mean, how do you become a great leader? Well, first you got to be able to listen. Mm-hmm. got to be able to listen to and feel what your, your staff's going through, their fears, their ambitions, their, their wants and needs. you got to check in with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And you, and you got to 
sometimes you have to be listening to them more than they're even listening to themselves mm-hmm. to, to know what's going on if you're going to have people with you for a long time because the longer the time is, the more enriched they are as an employee, but also things happen, right? And you've yeah. got to be there for them. Do you, That's so important. Do you have a trick? I mean, it seems really kind of silly, but do you have a trick to listen? Is there a way that you maybe go under the radar and put your ear to the ground without people really knowing what you're doing? No, I mean, first it's just asking questions yeah. and just sit and listen. I mean, yeah. you've got to check in with your staff. Mm-hmm. And I, I try my hardest. I've got a lot on my plate, but I try to check in and, it can be as little as, you know, asking them how their vacation was mm-hmm. or, you know, just listening to them and I, I, and listening to them about their their ideas of the restaurant and giving them, having them empowered. I mm-hmm. think that's, uh, yeah, that's absolutely. really, really important. And then the other thing as a leader is, you know, I always say there's, there's two different types of managers. Um, there is what I call the predator bird manager. <laughs> That sits there and just looks. I can picture that, yeah. <laughs> you know, to looks up from above and wants to just tell the person what's going wrong and what, what this is. And, and that, that's some one person's managerial yep. uh, style. Okay. Uh, one that works better for me, and I'm not saying one's better than the other, but for me, I would much rather be in the trenches uh, with my staff and lead by example that way. For example, um, you know, if it's a, let's say Friday night, uh, we have five waiters on. Um, and, you know, just because of how rush hour traffic is, some of the 530s come in late, and all of a sudden the whole dining room, resis that were supposed to be coming in at 530 or a half hour late, the 545s are 15 minutes late. And then all of a sudden at 615, the whole dining room is completely sat. Mm-hmm not how we had had it planned. Mm-hmm. And as a manager, first thing I'm going to do is go and either walk a, get a table through the menu just like a waiter would, take an order. I might end up taking four orders. That's as much as a four a waiter with a four-table section is going to wow. take. yeah. And what happens is, A, they have this confidence that, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, it's going to be really busy, but I have Bobby here with me mm-hmm. going through it. So instead of having a manager freaking out that it's busy, he's going to be right there with us. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're also, you're setting that pace. You, you It's not, you know, they're, they're not working for you. They're working with you. And I think that yeah. goes a long way. And again, I think we could really dive into this and tear it apart and really see the value that comes in doing that. But we got to move to the next question to stay on time here. And uh, that question is what is your favorite book or a resource that you would suggest as a must read for anybody getting into this industry? The, um, you know, I think uh, Danny Meyer setting the table is a really great read for right at this moment. What, I mean, it, yeah. it came out a few years ago, but it's still really, really relevant. What is the, the best piece of advice you got from that book? Oh my God. I got chapters of advice <laughs> from that book. I mean, everything from, how inspirational, like how young and just how young he was when he mm. started Union Square Cafe. I mean, he, I mean, you, you, 
do the math and you're like, holy moly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, he's truly, uh, he really paints the picture there and just so many things about what you, we've already alluded to about uh, attitude and spirit over skill and technique and experience and all that, you know, hiring that the 51 percenters. It's an incredible read. Um, the links will be in the show notes if you guys have not read this book yet. Any other books before we move on? You know, other books that I like that um, might not be the whole book based on restaurants, or some of them don't have anything to do about restaurants, but there's a book called Hug Your Customer. Mm-hmm. It's actually uh, written by two guys in the retail clothing industry from Connecticut, and I'm drawing a blank on their name right now, but really great book on just hospitality and awesome. taking care of customers. Hug Your Customer. I have not heard that one yet. I'll have to check it out. And if you guys want to check out these books, if they have piqued your interest, head to the show notes, www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 112. This is episode 112, and you will find those links in the show notes. And if you haven't experienced audiobooks yet, I'm telling you... You have no excuses for absorbing this content. Uh, it's so easy with audiobooks. Head to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable to get your free audiobook today. Or just click the links in the show notes. There's no excuse, guys. Get on that. So the next question I have for you, Bobby, is what's your best advice on marketing? Well, it depends on where you are in... Um in the life of your restaurant or in your career. You know, some people might be listening and they may never plan on having a restaurant, but they Mm want to learn how to market themselves. Like maybe they're a sommelier or a chef or whatever. And, you know, um, the best way is to show up and work hard every night Mm -hmm. and believe it or not, things will happen. Absolutely. You know, I mean, a lot, I think people discount a lot what it's like just to, to do, to do your job. Great. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great, marketing piece because you know what longevity is a big deal in this industry and uh, there's not a lot of it Mm -hmm. you know because it's a hard industry and i I, you know i think about five-year increments of how many how much the players have changed and uh you know there's a constant at frosca just us being there and it's really a great marketing tool of just trying to stay fresh and be there every day Mm. Awesome. I love it. And I mean, there's just so much power in that. Just trying to be your best every day. If you're, if you, if you're not focusing on being your best, then you have nothing to market. I mean, sometimes people put the things like getting on social media, like trying to create commercials or whatever, and they focus on all their energy on those things to show the outside of what they're all about. But then they forget about being what they're all about. And then yeah. you have nothing to show for it. And, uh, and yeah. you're absolutely dead on. And uh, I couldn't agree more with you. So the next question is about technology. And uh, I feel like, you know, you talk, you kind of mentioned you constantly have to be working on yourself and being better. And I feel like there's so many opportunities to leverage technology, to make the most of your time, to uh, be more profitable, to be more productive. And like, you know, there's so many different things. Uh, can you think of an example of a, a, t- a type of technology you use in your restaurant that you've just seen uh, great results with, or maybe as an entrepreneur, uh, a, a product or an app on your phone maybe that you use to be more productive and organized? Yeah, I, mean, I think you know it's been around now for probably 15 years, but for someone who 
was in the hospitality industry before it and now embraces it every day. It's crazy. It's not that sexy, but open table. Oh, I mean, yeah. if you're really going to pay attention to your guests, I mean, yeah, it's one thing to get people to book a reservation through mm-hmm. it. That's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But really, the, the ability of everyone to contribute to um, writing the psychology of that guest in the guest notes mm-hmm. is so powerful. Now, and Open Table is kind of a controversial uh, resource. Some people say they love it. Some people say they hate it. Um, and I think one of the things that we have to realize is that it's so much more than just a scheduling tool. And if you use it for all it's worth and you really you know, squeeze it like you're trying to get water out of a rock, you can really do incredible things with service by just using it to collect that data and to, to know how to best serve your guests. For sure. Yeah. Is there, For sure. Are there any other resources that you might want to mention? Um, you know, um, I don't do the day-to-day buying with um, uh, with the wine department. That's really Carlin and Matt's job. But I and uh, Dan and our pizzeria locale. But uh, seven fifty is. I mean, I'm like, I was like poking around on seven fifty the other day, and I'm like, what would my life have been so much easier had I had this when I was a young wine buyer? Just. I mean, I, I look back in the old days. We used to have all these like file cabinets with every like okay. distributors uh, like I, layers I'm, in it. I'm very happy to say that I have no idea what 750 is, and I love when that happens because that's why I ask these questions. Uh, what is 750? So, um, you know, like if you're a wine buyer, you know, let's say uh, you're dealing with a distributor. Let's say like uh, uh, Synergy, mm-hmm. uh, a distributor we work with here, and you can't remember who has. Um, a certain producer or whatever, you go into 750 and it links up to like this, uh, um, let's say if you, you forgot who had um, uh, Veneca Veneca, uh, a Sauvignon Blanc producer, and you go into 750 for your state, it shows, oh, it's with Synergy, this is the price, this is the vintage, everything's there. Mm. Awesome. It's really great. That sounds extremely useful and powerful. I'll have to look into that. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, so we're wrapping it up. We're getting close to the end. Uh, if you who could time travel, Bobby, if you could go back in time, maybe to 1995 when you first started working at, uh, what was it, uh, was it Hell? Uh, not, what was it? Tell- Little Nell? Little Nell, yeah. Or maybe the 2004 when you opened your first restaurant and you could just drop one piece of business advice on your past self. What would it be? What time would you go to, and what would you say to yourself? Okay, so if I went to 1995 at the Little Mel, uh, you know, at that time I was the assistant sommelier, and uh, I think I would have um, told myself about patience. Mm. What is the power in patience? Yeah, I could have used a little bit more patience <laughs> back then. I mean, I looked at matured a lot since then. I, I wish I had a little more patience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I went nine years later to when I opened Frosca in 2004, uh, probably the most important bit of advice, I would have said, Bobby, let's have an attorney go over your lease line by line. Awesome. And I think that kind of goes back to that advice, that mistake you had about not getting an expert on like, Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, amazing, incredible pieces of advice in a, a, a book that I would like to mention about being patient is, uh, the dip by, um, 
oh, Seth Godin. It's incredible talking about how, you know, things happen with time and often people quit just before things are about to work out for them. And, uh, it's just that patience is so important. So check out that book. Um, great. Awesome. I mean, I have asked all the questions that I have in my pocket of questions. Are there any questions you think could have added value to this interview? No, I I loved him. I I loved your, your range of questions and everything. I, I am very thankful that you had me on. I am thankful that you took the time out of your extremely busy schedule uh, to be a guest on the show. And uh, thank you for taking the time to put together that amazing TED Talks, that TEDx talk. Um, I I mean, I think you just did an incredible job uh, spelling out the differences between hospitality and service and how powerful, genuine, true hospitality can be. Well, thank you. Thanks, Eric. Seriously, my pleasure. And uh, before I let you go, I have to ask you to call somebody out. Who is one restaurant professional, one indie restaurant professional, the emphasis on the indie, that you know you think would make an incredible guest mentor on the show? You know, I, you know who'd be a great person to have on the show would be um, Robert Bohr of Charlie Bird. Robert Bohr of Charlie Bird. Is Bird. that B O I R? He would be great. All right. Look out, Robert. I'm coming after you. And uh, this is your opportunity to let the people at home know uh, how to connect with you. If they've been inspired by your story, if they're out in Boulder, Colorado, or in the the mountains, and they want to get in their car and come interview to work with you, you know, how can they connect? You know, there's a lot of easy ways to connect with me. Uh, you can just uh, call Frosca Food and Wine. I'm there uh, all the time. Uh, they can hit me on uh, email, bobby at froscafoodandwine.com, or on Twitter at Bobby Stecky MS. Mm-hmm. Um, any of those things. Awesome. Incredible. Uh, this is the kind of guy you want to work for. He will definitely invest in your growth, and uh, he will be your means to your dreams. And uh, if you got that spirit, give him a shout. And thank you so much, Bobby, for taking the time again to, to come on the show. You are truly unstoppable. Thanks so much, Eric, and uh, have a great uh, have a great uh, afternoon. Another episode in the bags here at Restaurant Unstoppable, and I'm telling you, Bobby, you littered this place with advice and bombs of knowledge. Such great stories, too. I mean, what really stood out to me today was your ability. To take something others would see as a disability, uh, you know, to overcome adversity with your challenge, be, you know, having AVD and dyslexia and seeing that as an advantage, but just have that mentality. Um, We can learn a lot from people like you who would use this disadvantage as an excuse to not perform, whereas you see this as an advantage over your competitors because you're just constantly you had to work that extra little bit harder growing up throughout your life to to be able to do as well as others now that you've found something that you love that you're passionate about that is something that you're naturally inclined to you just kill it man like nobody can compete with you because you have you put that same work ethic in but you're just naturally good at this and i mean that lesson alone so powerful and i think we could all learn from that if you are passionate about this industry and 
it does bring out your natural strengths. And you have that mentality of just, like, nothing will stop me. Like, I'm gonna do this. I mean, we have that ability to choose our fate. And I just love making an example of you and how you are so incredible at doing that and just controlling your attitude and seeing potential and uh so great uh a great great interview and again you shared that resource that i haven't had on the show yet that is called 750 check it out if you guys are trying to uh Get the most out of your wine program in your restaurant. Thank you for sharing that. Just everything was so valuable. You were such a great guest. I will have uh, the links to the episode I had yesterday's Talking Tuesday if you want to listen to uh, that TEDx talk that Bobby put on for us. I'll also have the link to TED Talks, that TEDx Talks, if you want to listen to it without my commentary. But yeah, everything's so great, so valuable. If you found value in today's episode, if you thought that Bobby just gave us amazing advice, then please help support this show by leaving me a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and uh, tell your friends. Share the knowledge. Uh, There's so many great stories and pieces of of advice in this archive of over 112 episodes now. I mean... Rosie. Sorry, Rosie's moaning my little puppy dog there. Sorry if you heard that. She's uh, telling me to wrap it up already. But yeah, just share this content because uh, it's super valuable and and so many people can benefit from it. That's all I have today. Uh, You guys have been great. Thank you for sticking around this long. And uh, until next time, peace out.